Hi there, listener. It's Matthew. You've come looking for an episode of the Children's Book Podcast, and you've found it. Hooray! But you're probably wondering why the name of the podcast has changed. After eight years of doing the Children's Book Podcast, I began a new career as head of podcasts at A Kid's Company About, where I now oversee a podcast network dedicated to producing original content that talks up to kids, centers the things going on in their world, and engages and challenges how they see the world and themselves. All of the episodes of the Children's Book Podcast are still here, but now, if you're subscribed, you'll get new episodes of Worth Noting, a kid's podcast about current events, hosted by me. Something for you and the young people in your life to enjoy together. Enjoy this episode, and I hope you'll check out Worth Noting and other podcasts from a kid's company about... Support for the Children's Book Podcast comes from 12 by 12. Picture book authors need to be fairly prolific to be published. That's why members of 12 by 12 aim to write one picture book draft a month. Through an online forum, monthly webinars, a private Facebook group, and more, members enjoy the accountability, support, and motivation of a fantastic community of authors and illustrators. Visit 12by12challenge.com slash membership for more information. Yeah, well, I'm in uh, San Miguel de Allende, which is where I grew up. I've been back here for a few years now. Okay. And uh, and so I have two young kids, and um, and my dad that you know he lives with us. I was just gonna and, ask if you have family still there. Okay. Yeah, and my uh, mother-in-law is actually here with us too. Um, and so my wife and I were the were the staff, we're the caretakers. So yeah. it's been a, a little brutal this this past year um but yeah but it's good you know this is the children's book podcast episode number 665 i'm your host matthew winner we're on patreon at patreon.com slash matthew c winner if you want to support the show today i welcome back duncan tonatia to the podcast Duncan's latest picture book as author-illustrator is Feather Serpent and the Five Sons, a creation story using Duncan's iconic pre-Columbian Mesoamerican-influenced art style that takes readers into the depths of Mictan, the underworld of Aztec mythology. It's an epic story, and hearing Duncan tell it is a testament to how strongly these influences move Duncan's hands to create such wonderful stories. Please welcome my guest, Duncan Donatia, author, illustrator of Feather Serpent and the Five Sons. Uh, well, hi, everyone. My name is Duncan, or Duncan Donatiu. In Spanish, I pronounce my name Duncan, um, and uh, I'm an author and an illustrator. And um, yeah, I've made several books. I think I have uh, uh, maybe nine books that I've written and illustrated, published now, and maybe like two that uh, I have illustrated for other authors. Um, so I've been busy the last ten years uh, doing that, and. Um, 
I primarily focus on picture books, on books that are for young readers. I have one that's for slightly older readers. Um, that's a little bit more of a graphic novel, uh, graphic novella, I guess you could call it, because it's very short. Um, and my books are all very different from one another. But one, you know, some are fiction, some are nonfiction. Uh, but I think a unifying theme in my book is that it's very much about Mexican culture and, and Mexican-American culture. I myself am both Mexican and American, and so I'm very interested in in, in topics that relate to uh, to Mexico and, and to Mexican Americans, um, and that's um, that's a little bit about of what I'm about. Well, I'm glad you're here, Duncan, and I'm I'm glad to welcome you back, also to be talking to you about about creation myths and to be talking to you about your voice as an artist. You are without doubt an artist that my students know instinctively by seeing your work. And that's a really, really neat thing to have um, that, that children can identify you by your, your artist voice in that way. So I love that you take us all of these different places in your books because it's that same artistic voice guiding us along the way. And I feel like uh, along the way, always showing us a little bit of you as well. So thanks for that. Thank you, thank you. I, lo- <laughs> I love too from page one of of this new book of Feathered Serpent and the Five Sons. I love that I saw your last name in the book and realized <laughs> that's a that's a word that means something else that I did not know, and how I I just couldn't then stop thinking of your name and your just just the 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 thought around names and us all coming from somewhere did you this is ridiculous for me to ask you this way but but have you thought about stories around your name in the past or telling them to children in this way um yes well so my full name is duncan or duncan tonatiu tonatiu is actually my middle name and then my last names are smith smith on my father's side and hernandez on my mother's side uh, but when I was first, you know, when I published my first book, I decided to use my middle name, uh, Tonatiu, which means in the Nahuatl language, sun or god of the sun. Um, I decided to use Tonatiu to to sign my work uh, because I thought it reflected well what, um, you know, what my artwork is about, what my books are about. You know, this distinct, very distinct style that I have comes from looking at, uh, at pre-Columbian art, at the art that was made in, in Mesoamerica. Uh, before the the Spanish and other Europeans came to to the American continent, um, so I just you know this you you can tell my drawings are very stylized and and very flat and and it comes from looking at that artwork that people did uh, back then um, and so when I was when I published my first book I decided to use my my middle name to to sign my work so that's why why it's the Tonatiu um, in my books. I like that. I like that having that connection now, <laughs> knowing where it comes from, also feels like a chance to know you even better. Again, having known your art. And I know from reading your books and from talking to you previously, that connection to uh, Mesoamerican culture and the value of, of those stories and coming from uh, a place from from 
uh, generations and generations and generations ago. In this story, you take us all the way back to the beginning of time, to the creation itself. Do you mind sharing a little book talk for Feathered Serpent and the Five Sons? Um, yeah, sure. I'd love to. Um, well, Feather Serpent, the Five Sons is a creation myth and, uh, of the god Quetzalcoatl, the Feather Serpent. And the Feather Serpent, you know, it's something that appears in, uh, in Mesoamerican art, um, from way back from the Olmecs, um, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years ago. Uh, and there's different representations of, of this, uh, Feather Serpent. And so he was a, um, Quetzalcoatl was this god, the god of knowledge and a very important um, deity for, um, for pre-Columbian cultures, for the Aztecs. Uh, but the Mayas also had a feather serpent and myths, uh, myths related to it. The Toltecs um, and, other, and other groups did so too. And this is a book actually I started working on um, years ago. I don't know, maybe like, uh, you mentioned Danza earlier when, when we were first chatting. Um, uh, when I was working on that book is when I first had an idea of doing a book related to Quetzalcoatl. And there's all these wonderful uh, myths uh, related to him. And so I wrote a manuscript and I sent it to my editor. And when I did, he thought it was very long um, and a little confusing because I was trying to pack all these different myths uh, around him into the book. Uh, but then some years, you know, I revisited the manuscript and I decided to focus on this, on this creation myth. Um, you know, the Aztecs and other people believe that before our time, there were four other times, four other eras, and or sons, uh, or donatius. And during each donatiu, the gods tried to create humans, but every time they tried, uh, you know, they failed. They didn't quite work out, um, and they decided to give up. And then it was Petetzalcoatl, the god of knowledge, didn't want to give up. And he tried one last time, one fifth time. And we're supposed to be living in this era, the fifth sun, the fifth era. And this myth involves him going into the underworld, into Mitlan, to recover the sacred bones of creation that the gods had given to Mictlantecutli, to the lord of the underworld to keep after all their failed attempts. Um, and so I read about this myth, and one thing that I did in the book is that uh, in, the, in, in myths that I learned from, from artwork and, and, and from stories that were passed about, about this myth, they don't really talk about Quetzalcoatl's journey through Mictlan. He just kind of ends up there in front of Mictlantecutli. But I knew from other, uh, from learning about um, Aztec culture and what they thought of Mictlan, that there were all these different um, regions with, with that, 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 um, that a person would have to, or that a soul had to pass through in order to reach the end of Mictlan. And it was this very arduous journey, this very challenging journey. Um, so I tried to imagine how Quetzalcoatl would, would overcome all those challenges to, to finally encounter, um, uh, Tecutli and recover the, the bone, the bones. The journey through Mictlan and and how you 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 really emphasize through the many page spreads that this is a long arduous journey and every moment of it is a chance to fail and really one that that it feels quite frankly like Quetzalcoatl will will fail because because that god is up against 
everything to get here, really, up against uh, a lord of the underworld that doesn't expect him to succeed. I love that through that process, you drain the color from him and from the page itself until it's just this this black and white image with the, the yellow text on it, but trying to um, outsmart or solve the riddle that um, that Mictlan Kutli gives at the end. It's just, I found it to be, I found it to be a story that I wanted to keep leaning in and listening to. Something odd that it, it felt at a point like I wasn't even reading it myself, that I was listening to the story being shared with me. And that was something that immediately made of me think of readers who are experiencing this with folks reading it to them. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And I'm, yeah, I'm very happy with, with how the book turned out. And that's something that I'm glad you noticed. And that was, that was, that I was especially proud of with this book is, is, is that, that, you know, in the journey, when he, he goes through the first region, it's full color. And as he goes through the regions, we start losing the color. And when he finally reaches Mictlantecutli, it's, it's black and white. And, and I was very happy with how that transition, um, happens in the book I felt you know as me as an artist that it, it was her like most my most picture booky book if that makes any sense you know like when I was making the book I was really trying to think not of just each individual spread but of how every spread of the book as a whole and how each page interacts with the other pages um, in the book so I'm 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 glad you noticed that and that that sort of you know the what's happening in the artwork and in the color and the story reflects what's, what's going on in the journey. Oh, uh, something yeah. that I was, I was very happy with. You even give your, your readers uh, an opportunity to really connect with the feathered serpent in that he starts to lose vision. It becomes so dark that he can't see in front of him. The, the page reads feathered serpent was now in, in the ninth region Chicano Wal Oyan, <clears throat> and it was an area with nine bodies of water and a very dense fog. I can't even see my hands, exclaimed Feathered Serpent. How will I ever find my way? But the god closed his eyes. He became still and listened to Sholotl's breathing. The spirit dog knew the way, and the god followed him. The fog dissipated. Feathered Serpent was finally in front of the god of the underworld, I am here to take the sacred bones. I want to bring humans to life, he said. And I feel, Duncan, that after that long, long stretch, it, it feels as if, well, we know that we humans exist. He must succeed. But after this long journey to find, I mean, this is the beauty of creation myths, I think, but to find the the energy, the, 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 I don't know, the commitment or the, the vigor to, to keep striving and to overcome was something that I feel like also gives this beautiful gift to, to humans that look at the lengths that were, were went to for you to be on this earth. It gives such value to, to our lives. I don't know, perhaps I'm reading too much into it, but I really, I, I think I, in that way, I'm a sucker for creation myths and for coming from something in our lives, having purpose and meaning from before we even had consciousness of our lives. 
Yeah, 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 definitely. And, you know, one thing that, I mean, I hope I don't give too much away, but, you know, then the bones break, you know, in, yeah. in the story. And, and you know, and Quetzalcoatl mixes it with his own blood and with the blood of the of other gods, uh, of the other main gods. And that's how he creates a paste to, to create humans one last time. And I just find that very kind of, you know, very poetic and... Um, it just ties in very neatly with with the four previous attempts and how this attempt that is the 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 successful attempt is you know like we you know we have the blood of god so to speak you know and and and, and those sacred bones is is how how it was believed that that we were made i just find that part of the story also very appealing yeah can you remember hearing fables or myths as a child it's something that i have a very, very distinct memory for, especially like Greek myths and the stories of Hercules and the Minotaur and things like that, I can recall very strongly. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, I love Greek mythology and, and, uh, and, you know, and, and, and this is definitely a, a hero's journey. You know, I think there's a lot of uh, other cultures that have uh, similar stories, you know, and their stories of like, uh, you know, of, um, uh, Odysseus of going into, you know, the, the river sticks and into the underworld. And so there's a lot of connections to, you can draw a lot of parallels to other creation myths, uh, for sure. But this whole idea of, you know, going through a journey and descending into this kind of dark place and then coming out transformed is, is definitely something that, um, that I think we see in a lot of, uh, in in a lot of cultures and in a lot of stories yeah have you had a chance to share this story with children yet yeah yeah i've shared a few times I mean, virtually um, i assume uh, for the most part but yeah uh a little bit virtually and and you know before yeah. you know before the pandemic um i hadn't i the book wasn't published but you know i showed it i would tell kids you know that if i would give them a sneak preview and if there was something horribly terrible about the book that they should <laughs> let me know so I can try and fix it, you know. Uh, oh, no. <laughs> but uh, so so I would share it and, you know, kids were into it. So so yeah. I I was happy to to share it and, and, and to show with them. So a few a few um, students that I, that I did school visits. Uh, uh, well, now I guess it was 2019, maybe beginning of 2020 got got to see it so as you're as you're talking to students as you're developing your own pacing through each new story that you have in your own uh styling for the art in each book um what are some of the things that you think about i mean i feel like this book is is edited down so much to just be focusing on those five gods and be focusing on just the the passage forward through this underworld um what what does that art process look like for you from designing these characters to even just the the wonderful like um patterns or textures that you lay under the art i'd love to know more about how you make art uh yeah i mean my um my process has been pretty uh similar um with all my books so far, you know, I, I draw by hand and uh, on paper and and then I scan my drawings 
And then in the computer, I use Photoshop to put um, texture and colors into the illustrations. Um, you know, so if you look at the book, you'll notice that a lot of the, the you know, the different, uh, you know, if there's something that's wood, it will be a wood texture or, or the cloth, you know, the, the fabric on, on his timatli, on his, on his cloak and, and the rocks and things like that are things that I either scan or photograph or, or find image in the internet. Um, and uh, so it's a, a digital collage that I do for the um, for my illustrations. And, you know, when I'm first making a book, the first part is the more creative part, you know, and it can be the more it can be the hardest and that, you know, I'm kind of trying to come up with ideas for a story and when I'm first making the sketches you know it's kind of when I'm more kind of thinking um, and maybe I'm not spending as many hours doing it but it, you know it's just kind of like in the back of my head working and that's when I can I feel I can be get stuck you know um, and then once I you know once I've finished a manuscript once I finished sketches and then I start doing this process of putting texture and colors into the illustration. It takes me a lot of hours, um, a lot of days, because you know I I try and pay attention to all the different details in in, in the images and the illustrations. Um, and so it just takes a lot of time. But I don't have to be thinking as hard, so to speak, as the more labor aspects, so to speak, of the of making the illustrations. Um, and that's, you know, when I'm doing that, I can listen to music or the news or sports or something, you know, while I'm um, while I'm working. When I'm first working on a book, I really need um, quiet. You know, I like um, if I can, I like to go to a park or to a library or somewhere, you know, just somewhere different where, where it's quiet. Um, uh, but when I'm doing the actual collaging of the illustrations, I just spend a lot of time in front of the computer um, uh, listening to music or the news or sports or, or different things. Well, I love the way that this book in particular turned out. I love that uh, during these different suns, these different ages, these different tonatias, you've got sort of the, the, the failure to create these humans turning into these just prints that are on the page, these black prints that at first the the humans turned into mountains and then into fish into um, the, the animals, the monkeys that lived in the trees and the birds. Um, I actually love in detail that each one sort of has what looks to be like a foot. Do you know what I mean? Like the tail of the fish sort of resembles right, that right. of a foot and the bird's tail. Um, but to go uh, through that block printing in that way into um into these gods, into these characters and those textures, as you were describing, um, and to use, to use those shapes that feel like they're, they're drawing from ancient art. is just something Duncan that I think maybe the whole children's literature world attributes with you because you've, you've found such a voice in it. And I'm so grateful that you are so, um, interested in it or fascinated by it. I think also of the connection you're giving children to that Mesoamerican art. Every time you draw the way you do, 
And then children copy you. Children draw like you or trace your pictures or, or are, I don't know, at a school visit with you and you're, you're doing a drawing workshop with them and how that also is tying them to, to a history, to a past. And I think that that's just a really neat thing that I always, always come back to uh, when I encounter one of your books is that same feeling of like walking through a museum and encountering ancient art and thinking we don't, we don't have symbolism, drawings, shapes like this around often anymore. And, and what it means to be in touch with a history just by the voice and the style that you put onto your art. It's just something I'm really, I'm really into. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. It's really neat when, you know, sometimes when I show my books to, to readers, to students, you know, one of the first questions they'll often ask is, you know, why do their ears look like that? You know, my ears oh, yeah. kind of look a little bit like, like number threes or this one student told me it looked a little bit like the slice of a mushroom on a pizza, <laughs> you know? Yeah, sure. Or they ask me why are their mouths, you know, look like they're so pointy, like they're trying to kiss someone, or their sure, yeah, their their nails some white. So I think when students, when when children first encounter the drawings, they you know they find it a little bit odd sometimes. You know, they're like, well, you know, like it's just different. Um, but then I think once they learn a little bit more of of, of why they look like that, and and um, they really get into it and it's really neat when I receive, you know, when they give me drawings that I, they did in this, in this style, you know, and, and I do think it's very neat that, you know, there's what I try and tell young artists is that there's not one correct way of drawing one not, there's just not one way of making art, you know, and so I think to just kind of expose them to, to other styles and, and to other possibilities, um, you know, that makes me happy. And especially if they have a connection to that, you know, especially if they're, if they're Latinx students and that's kind of part of their, their history. I think it's neat to just find a, a different way to, of, of representation, so to speak, you know? Um, so it's something that I've enjoyed seeing, um, through, through making books to see, you know, how kids respond to it and then how they embrace it. It's such a cool, connection to have I think about all of my different students seeing themselves and their families or their skin tones or their arts or their traditions in different books that we read but to read a story in this case that that is ancient and is rooted in in the start of it all and to feel like I come from I come from long ago I come from people that have been here for a long time. I just think that that's a, it's a really powerful and interesting place to play with children. And, and the way that your art from one book to another talks to one another in that way, because of your voice, I feel like just serves to connect it all together, to connect a lineage of stories and experiences and, and some, uh, fiction and others biography others real and lived and uh, it's just a really really cool way you're serving your readers and all readers Duncan and one that I feel like you set yourself up in such a beautiful way that with each new book you add you continue with 
that voice and that that sort of mission or story that's just it's just cool i think you're really cool duncan i don't know what else <laughs> to say i think you're cool <laughs> that's very kind man i appreciate it appreciate it i you know i feel very grateful and happy that i you know get to do something i love for a living and that it's very rewarding and you know i feel very just very lucky that that i get to do what i do it makes me very very happy. Well, we're lucky too. I'm going to uh, close our time together by giving you a chance to speak right to those readers who who are connecting with you, who are reading your work, who even haven't yet discovered your work yet, but it'll be there waiting for them when they're ready. And I'll close this way. Duncan, I will see a library full of children tomorrow morning. Is there a message that I can bring to them from you? Um... Gosh, just, you know, like I, you know, I, because of reading, because of, you know, I was really into comic books and I was really into anime and I was really into, you know, I would borrow these books from the library. They had these choose your own adventure books when I was a kid that I would borrow. And, and, you know, the library is just a wonderful place. Books are a wonderful place. And it's, you know, I feel so, it's one of my favorite places, the library, you know, and just to be able to. Uh, to connect with books and to be exposed to to learn about others, but I think also an opportunity to learn about oneself uh, through books is, is is really amazing, really wonderful. So I just encourage them to you know to read, to explore, um, and uh, and I'm sure they'll get something from it, whether they realize it at that moment or later. Goes Patty McGee, the story of the first woman's national skateboard champion. From the moment Patty spotted some boys riding a skateboard, she knew she had to give it a try. Patty was hooked. She learned new tricks nose wheelie, hanging heels, the coffin. She even perfected her own signature move, the rolling handstand. This led her to compete at the first national skateboard championship in 1964. You can learn more about There Goes Patty McGee by visiting my website at 2dnino.com. The Children's Book Podcast is recorded and produced by Matthew Winner in his library studio in Ellicott City, Maryland. You can subscribe to the podcast and access the archive of over 650 episodes at matthewcwinner.com. Our theme music is by Poddington Bear, care of the Free Music Archive. Want to help out the show? Become a patron at patreon.com backslash Matthew C. Winner, and your support and contributions will directly support and impact his work here. And always, writing a review on iTunes or sharing the podcast with friends through Facebook, Twitter, word of mouth, or any other means helps reach more listeners, which leads to more content and more amazing guests. And that's a very good thing indeed.
We know you value what you put in front of your kids, especially when it comes to screens and podcasts. That's why we're excited to share a new podcast from our friends at Sleepiest, creating bedtime stories to help your kids fall asleep fast. Hello, Abby here. If you've got children and find bedtimes a struggle, I'd like to tell you about Coco Sleep, a children's story podcast designed to make bedtime a dream. Coco Sleep turns a chaotic bedtime into cosy bonding time. The stories are delivered in a pace that gently slows. Rumour has it that no one's ever heard an ending. So search Coco Sleep on your favourite podcast app and let's make bedtime a dream. That's K-O-K-O Sleep and I'll see you there.